Hello, everybody, and welcome to Clothe Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I am Chris Small. Today, I am wearing a singlet, some shorts, did not really dress up for this audio podcast, but I am wearing some pretty rad socks that were given to me by a good friend that commemorate Hello Nasty by the Beastie Boys. They're very comfortable socks, and they're pretty cool. Unfortunately, my co-host, who's about to introduce himself, cannot see them because it's just my face. I'm really interested in your socks now. How do they celebrate that song? Are there any lyrics on it, or...? Oh, that would be way better. No, it's just the album art. Oh, okay. That makes sense. It's no, like, photo prints of... Ah, now I can't remember any of the members of the Beastie Boys. Oh, no. I don't look cool at all in this music podcast. We're doing a Bare Naked Ladies podcast. You don't need to know about the Beastie Boys. I know, but I mean, like, it'd still be cool. And I'm Ephraim Ellis, and today I'm wearing a maroon Henley shirt and a gray tweed vest, because I realized I had never worn anything like that on the podcast before. I thought that'd be cool to describe. And black jeans and extremely boring socks that I did get in a Walmart while on a theater tour somewhere in the Midwestern United States. Well, there you go. I feel like the Midwestern United States is not known for its exciting socks. So boring, boring everyday socks. Check out. Yeah. One of these days, man, one of these days I am going to look fancier than you because you always, you always bring it to this podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I will maybe do that, but it's going to be all in good time. Hey, that's the album we're talking about today. Man, I made a meal of that. All in good time. We have finally gotten to, we've been foreshadowing it for quite a while. It marks definitely a new chapter with the Bare Naked Ladies, and we're going to get into that and so much more. The foreshadowed plot twist has arrived. It has. If this episode doesn't get at least half a million downloads, I'm going to be upset because we've really been working towards this. Our entire back half has been leading towards this moment. No pressure. Every single episode, our audiences have just been saying to themselves, what have they been alluding to? What could possibly go wrong? This is it. This album, All in Good Time, which was released on March 29th, 2010 in Canada. One day later, it was released in the US on March 30th. 2010 was an interesting year for music. The number one song on the Billboard 100 that week, Rude Boy by Rihanna. Remember that song? Yes. Nice. Yes, yes, I do. Yep, yep, sorry. Took me a second, but now I got the chorus stuck in my head. It's great. Yeah, and it's going to live there for the rest of the night. You're welcome. The number one song of 2007, also an earworm, TikTok by K$ Ha, or Kesha, as she's, uh, as she's also known. God, I remember listening to it the first time. I'm like, I don't care for this. And then I listened to it 200 more times. That was the that was the one with the brush your teeth with a bottle of Jack line, right? That is correct, yes. Was that it? Yeah, see, I will always remember that song because somebody cut a really great music video of only clips from Star Trek, the original series, to that <laughs> song. It was really, really great. They just found every single clip of any of the actors on that show acting the least bit out of it or drunk. <laughs> Absolutely timed Spock playing the Vulcan liar to the, to the hook. It was really, really great. It was very funny. That's probably what made it number one. A lot of that I imagine that go. video went viral. Mm-hmm. And the number one song on the Canadian Billboard 2010 charts at the end of the year, California Girls by Katy Perry featuring Snoop Dogg. Also a very infectiously catchy tune. So Rihanna, Kesha, and Katy Perry kind of dominated 2010. Uh, and that, that checks out. I remember I worked a gig because it was the year after I graduated from university. The Much Music Video Choice Awards. If you remember those kids, anyone who lived in Toronto where they shut down Queen Street at the the city tv building 
and Kesha, Katy Perry, and Rihanna were all there singing those songs. So I just remember that because it was very, very long hours for very little pay, paying my dues. But hey, got to see some people who were famous at the corner of my eye. A friend of mine was, I think, house managing the Bell Lightbox movie theater during TIFF a couple of years ago oh, yeah. and ended up working the premiere of Snoop Dogg's documentary in the brief period where he was no longer Snoop Dogg, but was now Snoop Lion because he was going through his reggae phase. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently that was nuts because, of course, you know, like world famous hip hop superstar shows up with his entourage and, you know, chaos ensues and things. But apparently it was really cool. How much weed was smoked at the bell light box theater that day or just those days well i didn't i didn't want to tell tales out of school but she did have to keep snoop from hotboxing the green room it was and he was probably like it's the green room what do you expect me to do why do you call it that two singles were released from this album every subway car and you run away which we're gonna get to that but probably weird take probably their most controversial song at least in canada you run away i'd say controversial i'd I'd say so i've got some thoughts about it i i think at least that it's a controversial song i'm interested to hear what the controversy is look at this we're still foreshadowing within the episode I know. You Run Away charted at number 25 on the Canadian Hot 100, which was in at least Canada their best-selling single or most popular single since Pinch Me in 2010. And Every Subway Car was a good song. They, it, it did not chart. They did do a remix of it. Well, not a remix, but they recorded, re-recorded it afterwards. And it was a duo with folk singer Erin McCarley. I looked her up because I hadn't heard her name. She's she's actually really good. She's not super well known, but she's kind of got like a Fiona Apple, Sheryl Crow vibe going on. So the vocals actually mesh really well with Ed Robertson's. Yeah, I'd never heard of that remix until today. And I just listened to it. And I really, really like it. Erin McCarley's voice is really, really cool. And I think well suited to that duet. I did find that the mix, it sounded like she wasn't in the room yeah it sounded like they just cut ed's vocals of the other version of the song out of those sections and just subbed in her vocals on those verses which i thought was kind of jarring but yeah it's pretty good it is and you know what for the five hundred thousand people who are going to be listening to this episode aaron mccarley has five hundred thousand new fans so you're welcome congratulations aaron you can cut the check (laughs) we made you famous to cmdbnl i was gonna say are you just about to give out your postal address (laughs) no No. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit that out. Talking points. Well, I've, I've got here in the notes because what I do is I uh, send notes to Ephraim and we kind of like collaborate on it before we do it because we do our research. We're uh, professionals. But the talking point I've got here is there's only one really big talking point, And let's get into it right now. Stephen Page, no longer a bare naked lady. It, it is a bummer, but I, I like the four piece. Yeah. I, I like this period that they're going into. I really do as well. Like I said, I've seen them five times live and three of those times was as a four piece. And I think I probably enjoyed those concerts more than I did with them as a five piece, to be completely honest. That might have- Yeah, I think so, me too. I think I I only saw them once or twice pre-2010 and I've definitely seen them like three or four times since then. Yeah. Yeah. The shows in the like 2010 to 2012 era felt a little bit weird, but it's always always weird in that kind of post- a major force in the band leaving kind of transitionary period. Yeah. 
And I think that yeah. that really kind of ties into what our opinions are of the album before we get into the tracks. You say you like them as a four piece. I really do too. I think that the stuff that they'd produce was really good and can be compared favorably to the stuff that they released at their peak. This album is not it. I do not like this album at all. It's, oh man, revisiting it. I remember listening to it when it first came out and I was disappointed and re-listening to it all this week I'm still disappointed it is a jumbled mess I think it suffers from severe growing pains and a bit of an identity crisis to me I'll kind of get into that more in detail when we go through the tracks but yeah I'm not a huge fan but Ephraim I think you're on the other side of the coin tell us your thoughts I'm absolutely on the other side of the coin I really really like this album this is again I always say every single record is one of my favorites but I think it's one of my favorites to me this feels way more cohesive than the Blam duology. Hmm. It definitely feels like a stronger collection of songs. They specifically, they they brought 27 songs to the album mixed down out of the All in Good Time sessions, and they cut that down to 14 or 18, including the bonus tracks, which is the correct choice. <laughs> Unlike the last weird double record that they did. I really, really like this one. When it first came out, I think I was feeling a bit trepidatious about it because it was the first one that they had released since Stephen Page left the band so I was a bit worried it was gonna suck and then it wasn't I was like beyond pleasantly surprised I really really liked it and I listened to it like on repeat in 2010 Okay. And re-listening to it, getting ready for this episode, that still stands up? You are still... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, this is, I think, probably the first time that we've actually had, like, this strong differing opinions of an album. So it's going to be really interesting to get into the Mm -hmm. tracks. And let's do that right now with the very controversial track one, You Run Away. You run away. You turn and stay. But you run away from me. I don't think our disagreement is going to start on this song, though. <laughs> I think we're both on the same page for this one. So we'll, we'll see where we start diverting later on in the record. Fair. Yeah, I, I don't like this song. And the reason I don't like this song is, and the reason I say it's controversial is because they did this song as the lead single to the album before it was released. And it's very clearly talking about Stephen Page. And they've said, they're like, oh no, it's not. It's We're not talking about him. Why would you ever have that opinion? And then- they- They're liars. They are liars. And then they came back and said, oh, well, no, it was partially inspired by him. And I'm like, no, it's it's not. It, it is very much just a jilted lover song. And if you are going to actually try to forge your own identity as a four piece, if you're saying, hey, this is the new direction of the band and this is what we're going to do and we don't need Steven, you don't lead off the album with the lead single, which is pretty much just saying, oh, well, you know, we tried and you said that you tried, but we tried harder and and the, the the specifically the lyric one day when you're older i hope you can get a mirror over your shoulder to look you in the eye it's like what the fuck man like shots are fired and unnecessary shots either clearly Stephen page i don't, I don't want to get into just exactly like all the scandal things that he left the band but was dealing with some substance abuse stuff dealing with some mental issues dude was going through some stuff 
he had some stuff going on and had a bunch of issues to work through and it was a tough period in his life and that you know sometimes you have to make a change to to work through that sort of stuff exactly so i i say that this is a controversial song because i think that they were cashing in on what was happening at least in canada at the time which is i think why this charted you know in in america people probably didn't know all of you know the stuff that was going on it was big news in like the entertainment sector in canada when all of this went down i think it's unnecessary especially if you're leading off the album like that so yeah not not a fan for those reasons and even as a song if if it was like infectiously catchy or if it was good it, it's not it's boring it's bland it's 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 no good uh from your thoughts sappy isn't the right word but like it's too sappy and it it's is. just so obviously about steve leaving the band and it's just not a good look for the band i know when you're an artist and you're like trying to express you know your own feelings and the issues you're working through through your songs and your art you gotta do that but it just feels so on the nose it's not that it was necessarily so soon after he left the band because it was already like a year and a half since that happened but it was like the first new thing that they released since that news event and that shake up in the lineup and it just it does not feel right to me yeah it just really feels like airing dirty laundry and from my perspective it didn't feel like they were because you were saying you had the feeling it was like they were trying to capitalize on it from like a news standpoint to like cash in on the story I never got that sense I did just get the sense that yeah it was just they just needed to get these feelings out but maybe they should have held back on that I think a little bit definitely and also This is the equivalent of Ice Cube putting out no Vaseline against the NWA. It's it's almost this is almost like a really watered down hokey diss track, you know, for Canadian folk, but still very polite. And I think there's there's so many other songs that I think are also about Steve leaving the band later on in the record that are a lot more subtle. I get that vibe, yeah. Definitely. And better songs. Yeah. Yeah. So when I say that I love this record, I generally start with track two. I generally kind of like just think of this as the single that they tacked onto the front of it. I cannot believe that this charted to number 25 in Canada. That makes me actively sad because I don't think it's a good song. I don't get it. No, and I think it is just because of the notoriety of what happened. So I I get what you're saying where it probably was a cathartic take. Like we talked about how specifically Ed as a songwriter has used Mm -hmm. songwriting to, you know, get through some stuff, leave with his brother passing away and things like that. So I could very much see that, yes. But when all said and done, it charted at number 25. And there was definitely a conscious decision to put this out. And that's why. I think I say controversial too because I don't think that they play this at concerts anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's yeah. It's a weird I, I one. think it's I think it's a thing that they had to express at the time. I uh, and this is extremely minor. Also, it the fact that it's run rather than ran really bugs me. Yeah. Just the weird grammar in the name of the song just immediately bugged me when they first when they first, when I first heard it. Still bugs me now. I think it's trying to imply that like that that running away like it's still occurring. Mm. Yeah, but it's still just yeah, it just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you said before, you know, this album yeah. starts for you at track two. So let's get into track two. Yeah. Summertime. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Why don't you take us? Why don't you lead us off? I absolutely should not have read your notes before starting the episode because <laughs> then 
I wouldn't be like, oh no, Chris, uh, here's my opinion. Oh, because now I know everything you're gonna disagree with me on. I like this song a lot. I really like, like, the chorus has this weird kind of like Bee Gees kind of feel to it, mm. which I really dig. It's got this like kind of groovy disco kind of feeling. And right at the end of the chorus, there's the, um, there's like a guitar lick that's, it's got this really cool Brian May kind of feel to it. Like that, bam, 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 which I, I love that. And I think after the kind of like, uh, they shouldn't have released you Runaway. But after the kind of, after the really heavy, like hard on your sleeve, like really exposing yourself kind of material of the first track, I think it's a nice fresh start to just have a looking forward to the summer song as your second track. And today when I was listening to it, I was really feeling this song during this second pandemic spring. Mm. I don't know. The, the lyrics were really hitting me with that content in this year specifically, but mm. No, that, that is fair. I am the opposite for all of the mm. reasons that you probably just described. <laughs> it feels disjointed. It feels very... I think it's the antithesis of what BNL is because it feels repetitive. It feels lazy. There's no clever wordplay. You know, the Brian May solo that you talked about, the Bee Gees, it feels like they're trying different things. They're throwing a lot of stuff at the walls. And this is kind of what I talked about in Identity Crisis because this is them trying to find their voice. And this is just... So you go from a diss track, the first one, and then you go into this, which to me, I'm like, if this is an example of the direction that they're heading in as a four piece, that's ugh, not good. Yeah, I feel like in the new post Stephen Page four piece era that is still current, I often get the feeling that like Ed is trying to write hits, mm. that he's like actively going in the room saying, all right, today I'm writing the single and not just like writing a good song and then deciding, oh, this sounds like a single later. I don't know. Which is so funny because they're no longer represented by a major label. So you'd think being independent, that wouldn't be nearly as big of an issue, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, all right. Well, then let's move on to track three then, which is Another Heartbreak. This is Kevin Hearn's first song on the album, and probably the heaviest one he's done, I think, up to this point. And I put this as a note. To me, it feels almost like an audition for the secondary lead vocalist of the Bare Naked Ladies, rather than hmm. what has happened in previous albums where it's been, oh, this is clearly a song that Kevin wrote, and they're putting it on to feature him and his creativity. But this is very much the instrumentation of it would not feel like something that he would have written compared to his past stuff. So that's why I say, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like Ed's just like, hey, we're going to need vocal harmonies and we're going to kind of need to have that sweet two piece that we've got. So Kevin, here's your here's your chance. Now, I know that's not what happened, but that's it feels more like a weird experiment. I was just looking up who wrote that song, too, because I, I, I was just thinking, surely Kevin wrote this with Ed from the feel of the song. But no, it's a pure Kevin track, yeah. I think, which, yeah, that kind of surprises me because it feels like it does have that Ed influence. Maybe he edited it. <laughs> edited it. Edited. <laughs> I'm going to make an edit. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, I think that this song is fine. It's it's not my favorite Kevin Hearn track, but like it's pretty nice. I'm not sure it should be track three. Hmm. It doesn't feel like big and important enough to, to have that really prominent track three placement. But I think that, yeah, what they were trying to do was insert that secondary lead vocalist in the wake of Steve not being there really early on. Yeah. Do you think that maybe Kevin felt the pressure to kind of emulate the songs that Stephen and Ed wrote? If it was purely him, maybe he was like, I got to kind of do it this way? Um, I don't 
think so because like he'd done that before because like he wrote sound of your voice and that was very very in the vein of the regular stuff and also the two other tracks that he wrote and does lead on in this record are also still very kevin-y tracks yeah we're gonna get to we're gonna get to one of those later oh no more disagreement oh no well let's see if we agree with track four which is four seconds all I'm going to say is, oh, this is bad. It is really bad. It is try-hard. It is devoid of any warmth. The only positive I can say is that Tyler gets to do some vocals on it. Yeah, because this is this is the first time that Tyler has had some semblance of lead vocals on a on a track, right? Pretty much, except for well, no, not even because he was just backing vocals for our men because there were a couple that that he wrote and like he was in. But yeah, yeah. this is very much him and Ed. Yeah, because I, I think it's really really cool to hear Tyler's voice prominently, even though he owes only that one line during the hook kind of section. Yeah, I disagree. Agree. I don't. Okay, so I don't really like this song. I like this song. I think it's pretty good. Okay. Objectively, I really, really like this song. Like you say that you don't like that. There's a lot of experimentation on the album, and you think that they're just really trying to do a lot of experiments and figure out how to do this new kind of paradigm. I mm. like that. That's obvious on this song. I like how different it sounds while still having some influence of their older stuff. Like four seconds feels like one week as direct by David Lynch to me. <laughs> what, what a description. It's like one week, but spookier and makes less sense. Four seconds fire walk with me. Yeah, so all that being said, objectively, I really, really like that song and all that stuff it's trying to do. On the other hand, I don't really feel like listening to it a lot. Like, it's not what I go to put on. And let me be very clear, too. Yes, the experimentation I don't like, but I'm all for bands trying new things, mm-hmm. definitely, because if not, that is going to be derivative. Like, I would never expect them as a four-piece to rest on their laurels or try to replicate what they were doing. So I do like the experimentation. I just think it comes off as very insecure, especially for a couple of tracks we're going to go to later. It's almost like they're kind of abandoning... They, they don't have a lot of confidence in this album, I feel. For as long as they've been together, and I get the fact that, you know, a five-piece, and, and Steve was so integral to the band and a founding member, I mean, these guys still have chemistry, the four of them, but it really does feel like they've kind of, I don't know, like the camp counselor went away, and now the kids are running the uh, camp. I cannot cite this story, so uh, it's entirely possible I'm making all of this up, and if I am and this did not happen... Ed, Kevin, someone come on the podcast and correct me. But I remember reading somewhere that in one of the first shows that they did after Steve left the band, they were so shook by it, they didn't do any planning. They just said, no, let's just just do the show. And they didn't think ahead of time how they were going to manage Steve not being there with the regular set. They're just like, oh, so who's going to sing what? No, no, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out on stage. And just muddled through it because they didn't want to have to do that planning. And during Million Dollars, during the banter bit, because usually it's Ed and Steve, Ed does the first one of the first lines and just slowly looks over to Kevin. And Kevin just always goes, no, no, I'm... uh, (laughs) Please don't include me in this. And and I I feel like this is like a, a radio interview because I remember a quote from Kevin saying all I could think of in that moment was no 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 I'm not ketchup guy I <laughs> I can't be ketchup guy we need to figure this out 
So I think, yeah, they were they had a lot of stuff to do working through this and figuring out that new paradigm. This, to Ugh. me, is the antithesis of the Mountain Goat scale because the four yeah. opening tracks have completely lost me. I still like a lot of the rhymes in four seconds. Orange door hinge. Great. <laughs> Love that. I don't understand why he put in a weird reference to Greta von Sustrin getting eye surgery, which was a news event from <laughs> 2002, and this was 2010? Like, super, super weird. Yeah. There's a Blue Rodeo shout-out. I don't know. Yeah, basically, I think there's good stuff in that song. I like the song. I like the sound. Yeah. D- differing opinions. That's what makes this the most popular episode of the podcast, in theory. We then go on to track five, On the Lookout. So, I do like this track. Finally, one I like. Hey! <laughs> Savor this feeling, Chris. It's uh, it's pretty good. It, it's gonna go away very soon. Oh no. It is probably the first song I really paid attention to just how beautiful of a voice Jim Cregan has. Like, it, it floored mm-hmm. me. Like, I, you know, In the Drink was really good. Peter Brown the Corthos was like a weird song. I, I liked it. There's not a huge range or anything like that. But this one, I'm like, man, Jim Cregan, he can sing. Mm-hmm. I remember you were saying before, you're like, oh, yeah, voice of an angel. And I never really paid attention because I thought that you meant Andy Cregan because he's literally an angel. R.I.P. But no, it was it was very good. Andy, we love you. We know you're not dead. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yes. Uh, what, what are your thoughts of On the Lookout? Yeah, I think it's a beautiful song. I think it really, really shows off the strength of Jim's vocal range. I really like Jim's writing and stuff, too. His choruses are all are often quite grand. Mm. There's a lot of like a sweeping feeling yeah. in this song that I really, really like. And I like kind of the central metaphor in the lyrics about, you know, in the story of the song, the speaker is on top of a cliff or an escarpment or something with their partner thinking about the passage of time and this all will pass just like us Hmm. like you know the passage of time on the landscape but also on the relationship and we have to seize this moment and just like this spot don't miss this we've only got one shot i think it's a really poignant really beautiful song i like it a lot yeah 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 i think it's well placed in the album too because you had you know you've got ed for a couple kevin was there and now jim and because their voices are so completely different it really does showcase jim and it's a good showcase for people who might not have i mean people would have heard him because he has done stuff on previous albums but because his songs were usually sandwiched in between more memorable tracks or more traditional bnl tracks i think it's good and yeah i really like this song too but then we go on to ordinary don't you know we lost sunk so low we just called it off how an ordinary moment gets tossed now i really like this song but it's because it sounds more like a blue rodeo song rather than bnl's and (laughs) i think and i love blue rodeo they'd have to revoke my citizenship if i didn't but i think Again, it's that identity crisis. I think them trying new things is great, but don't try to emulate another very famous Canadian band. So I do like it, but it just feels like a ripoff of Blue Rodeo. I, okay, I completely disagree. Not with that it doesn't sound like that, because I think that that influence is there. And I know that the the bands are friends. Yeah. So obviously there's a bit of that kind of like cross-pollinization between the two of them. Who wouldn't be friends with Jim Cuddy? He's of course. A, he's a dreamboat. <laughs> 
He absolutely is. Okay, so I'll get back to my point in a second. But so my sister, who did the cover art for our podcast, uh, she's wonderful, went to high school with Emma Cuddy. Oh, yeah. I think that's her name, who's a Jim Cuddy's daughter. Yeah. And another one of my sister's friends who I can't remember which one it was, like was a huge Blue Rodeo fan and specifically in Emma Cuddy's present kept on saying like, oh, yeah, Jim Cuddy. Oh, he's so hot. Oh, he's so good looking. <laughs> oh, he's so, oh voice of an angel. I love him so much. To the point that Emma Cuddy at one point had to say like, yeah, yeah, no, I... I I, um, I I like his band too. Uh, you know all those love songs? They're about my mom. You keep your hands off. You keep your eyes and your hands off my dad. Apparently that ended the conversation. So good times. I mean, that is that is a hell of a mic drop. It very much so is. But on the topic of the song Ordinary, I think that this is a classic Ed Robertson, Bare Naked Ladies country banger. Okay. Uh, I like this song a lot because it's in that kind of subgenre of Bare Naked Ladies tracks that I really, really like. Yeah, I think, so when I was re-listening to it, and this is what, what really stuck out with me, I agree with you. I do think it is an Ed Robertson banger, but I disagree in the sense that I think that it, it seems like he is trying to emulate someone else, and that's where the confidence comes from. It's a country banger, yes, but it's just different enough or just replicating that feeling of Blue Rodeo enough, at least to me, that it feels like he's lost his confidence on his voice and therefore he's adopting someone else's. I know it's a weird, it, it's kind huh. of a weird like transit, but that's just, I remember listening to it again going, yeah, I really do like this song. And I'm like, but it could very much be a Blue Rodeo song, whereas other Ed Robertson country bangers have been distinctively BNL. Huh. And I don't know where it is. And what that line is that makes me think that or like where where that is. But it's just that was just kind of like my first really gut reaction. Huh. Yeah, because I, again, I can hear that similarity and influence. But to me, this just sounds like uh, another song in the vein of For You hmm. with the like the acoustic picking riff on the opening i like that it, it i like that it does get more electric part way through with the like it's come undone like it like i feel like the song has a really nice build to it there's some sweet mandolin on the part of there kevin is. later in the song which is pretty great this is this is one of the two standout tracks to me okay on the album yeah like i i, I really like every subway car and it clearly is a single but th- this is like i think this and another song later kind of in my head are fighting for what should have been the second single okay well in that case next track i have learned Is this the one that's fighting for a single? Absolutely not. All right, cool. What do you think of I Have Learned? Uh, I don't love it, but, like, it rocks. Like, but I don't, when I say it rocks, I don't mean, like, oh, yeah, this rocks. I love, like, not because I love it, it rocks. Like, literally, it is rock and roll music. It, like, it has, <laughs> it's, like, a bit of a harder song. It's got a pretty cool guitar solo. Yeah, no. Eh. Yep. It rocks, it has a pretty cool guitar solo, and once again, it sounds like they're trying to emulate another beloved Canadian band because this song could very well be done by the Tragically Hip. That's a cool idea, and I did not get that feeling when I was listening to it, but I'm sure that you're right. So I need to, I want to go back and listen to it and with that in mind. It's well, it's funny because it's like those guitar solos that you pointed out, and like even the chorus, the way that Ed's singing it, and then you go into that guitar riff. I'm like, this is very much evocative of the tragically hip. And I love the tragically hip. But once again, if you've got two songs side by side where you're trying to emulate two different bands, and not that they were trying to, but the fact that you know you have a song that sounds like Blue Rodeo, then you have a song that sounds like the tragically 
biologically hip. It's just you're losing what makes the band the band because yeah. this is not their this is not their sound. Huh. And I really like it. I really like this song. It's just it it annoys me that that it's that. Yeah, and I just played the song again in my head, like from my memories, like not yeah. on a physical machine, like with my brain in in the past. And you're absolutely right. There's something about the melody as well that sounds very very hippie. Yeah, wow. And 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 I think that's why it, it's experimentation but not good experimentation because it's not original stuff. It, it it sounds like yeah, I don't know. It, it it sounds like a tragically hip ripoff. And 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 again, I do like the song because I love the tragically hip and I like this vein of rock and roll, but because of that, once again, just like ordinary, I can't really get into it. Also, thing I didn't know is apparently back in 2010 they even released this on vinyl which i didn't even think there was a vinyl resurgence until later oh yeah (laughs) um which is kind of cool but in order to get the album to fit on one lp record they left off how long and i have learned so they left that song off of the vinyl release of the record and those are the two songs that just reading my notes i was having a hard time remembering which songs those were (laughs) just reading the titles so like so i think objectively that means i'm right like that my opinions on the quality of certain songs is correct? I think so. Yeah, because they left my two least favorite songs off of the vinyl release. That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. When you can't even remember what the song is, that's not really the best vein at that stage. A song that I do remember is the next track, Every Subway Car. What do you think? Story song, story song, story song. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think it's it's a really cool story song with a really unique protagonist. You know, like song about a graffiti artist going around town tagging their love's name on abandoned things. Uh, there's no other songs about that. I think that's really cool. And it rocks really hard. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think that I really like this song a lot. I think that it still is a bit, it's, it's not super original in terms of like hmm. the, the sound, but it's getting there. And I really like mm. it. It's beautiful story song, so I knew you'd like it. And um, yeah. also Ed's vocals are really vulnerable. Like not the lyrics, but just the way that he's singing the verses. It it's very beautiful, and it sounds like there's pain in his voice, and 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 in a good way. I hadn't noticed that until you just specifically just used that word vulnerable right there. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, there's some like pretty there's some really good acting in the story yeah. on the part of Ed from his vocal quality. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And also, you and I growing up in a major metropolitan city, I think we can relate to the amount of graffiti that are on subway cars. The, the Toronto's pretty, I don't know. I feel like there's not all, uh, like it's not like New York in the 70s, sort of. If that's if that's your benchmark, I love that. I mean, there's no New York in the 70s, but this house is pretty clean. When it's like, oh, look at this room. Well, you know what? There's no New York subway in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, but no, every subway car good. And I do really like the way that they did bring in a female vocalist for the re-recording of it. Because I think that that really does, it helps the story for one thing and again Mm -hmm. yeah just really really good I'm sad if there was gonna be a single like only two singles on this album like every subway car really should have charted over You Run Away for four reasons we've talked about I think going back to what not to keep talking about that god awful track but I I feel like uh, I feel like unintentional 
intentionally or intentionally, the fact that it was explicitly about Steven leaving the band probably helped in that charting and newsworthiness respect. And that mm-hmm. makes me sad, because not necessary. The next song is not about Steve. It's about Jerome. When you are I, uh, I I like I like you from face. You guys can't see it. I think we're gonna have a very differing opinions on this song because I hate it. <laughs> yeah, we are. Oh, maybe this song's okay for Thin Buckle, but it's not for this album. Well, for me, anyways, or really ugh. any album I want to uh-huh. listen to. I love you, Kevin, but ugh, it's not my cup of tea. But but my my recording partner loves it, so I want to hear the positivity. Well. Okay, see, here's the thing. Like like our friend, Ed Robertson, I like my country influences, and this is a cool country ghost town song, and I think that's really cool and rad. You do love ghost songs. I, do, I love ghost songs, and I love country songs. This is both of those things. There's a really cool 60s Western movie horn section kind of thing towards the back of it, and it's the same thing with the harmonies. It sounds like this kind of like an Ennio Morricone kind of musical quality to it. I think Kevin's voice is perfect perfect for this song Mm -hmm. i i think that the way his voice sound is perfect for the content of this song singing about this cool old bombed out town and i like this song even more once i looked up the town it's about tell us about the town it's about this is a real place jerome arizona is not a ghost town ghost town because like 500 people still live there but it is like a place replete with ghost stories and there's like haunted town tours that go through it and there's just a bunch of weird stuff in this this like out of the way desert town there's a there's a big kind of like small mountain hill behind it called cleopatra hill which like the hollywood sign has a single j on it like it's not a phrase it's just (laughs) the letter j for jerome and it is maintained by a local service organization called the j club the j club i think that's adorable your hobby is just maintaining the big j on the hill you know what i'm sure that they were ecstatic to hear this song and and it's referenced in the lyrics of jerome the lyric they kept the jailhouse filled till it fell down the hill (laughs) that's a thing Okay. The jail in Jerome, Arizona was known as the sliding jail because it was, there was like some minor earthquakes or like earth movements in the 19th, like after it was built in the 1930s. And today it's about 200 feet downhill from where it was originally built. I was going to say, was it just like a horse and cart jail? Were there only like three people in it and it just went away? No, that's interesting. Regular building, regular building that has just slowly migrated down a hill. I think that's cool. I don't know. I like this song a lot and I learned a bunch of cool trivia today. I feel feel like if, about this random place in Arizona. I feel like if you were a prisoner in that jail, you'd also be really happy that you got sent there because like if the trend continues, maybe in like 20 years, you'll be over state lines and can be convicted or tried under different laws that might uh, allow you to get out. Someone else's jurisdiction, make a break for it. All right. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll listen to it when I'm feeling in a, in a less cynical mood and I'll, I'll appreciate it. But I do love the passion you have for it. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's cool in terms of it being from a real town. I wish I did yeah. my research about it because I just got annoyed at the song and I'm like, eh. No. Whatever. The next song, How Long? Don't say how long, don't say how long, how long. So we touched on this earlier before. Ephraim, a very forgettable song for you and one of your least favorites. Yep. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on this one because I feel I feel the exact Great. same. I feel like the verse guitar is really weird. I mean, I, I give them free passes for a lot of their lyrics, even the ones that don't make sense. Like when you were talking about in Take It Back, like the weird 9-11 illusions and yeah. things like that. But this, uh, I know it's for reals. Like, fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> see, you can't see me right now. I'm grinning, though. That's like the one part of this song I like. That's literally the only part of this song I like. I know how it feels. It's for reals. I'm yeah. like, shut up. Just, <laughs> you could just use the singular. Or you could put, I know how you feel. It's for real. I'm like, no, you're just, you're just, fuck off. I, I think it's funny. I think it's a nice little moment of moment of levity. It's just just a, just a song of the Jokey Boys just coming right back up in the middle of this much angrier song, which is also why I don't like it. I don't know. It's too angry for me. It is. And there's not a lot of lyrics. No, no, there really isn't. <laughs> like, it's mostly just how long, how long, how long over and over again. And yeah, it's, you know, it's boring to me. All right. So we move into our next track, Golden Boy. This song to me is probably, I think I like songs more on the album, but I think that this is the strongest song in terms of a glimpse of what's gonna come. I really like that you can hear the other members doing harmony vocals. That's a really cool vibe that we really haven't heard before in terms of, you know, Kevin, uh, Jim, just kind of doing those harmonies that Ed and Steve, it was usually kind of reserved exclusively for them. And this song probably sounds like the most confident one on the album. Like they're quite literally finding their voice. That's how I feel. Your thoughts? So I think it's cool that we are agreeing again for a brief period of time. (laughs) Yeah, this is absolutely, I, I think my favorite track on the album it was certainly my favorite track when it first came out it would be like every subway car and then definitely golden boy or ordinary as the second single i would say yeah i also feel like this song is also to me it feels pretty clearly also about steve but in a subtler way that is yeah. more PR friendly than I picked up you on that too. Away. Yeah. I feel like yeah, I feel like if you wanted to release a single about the major shakeup in your band, why not release this one? It's catchier, it's better written, it's more interesting musically. The lyrics are not as on the nose and salty as you run away while still making the same kind of point. I really, really like this song. It does have something that I, I forgot to bring up before when uh, we were talking about Ordinary, but another reason I think that this album's kind of disjointed is that there's like four or five songs that could be the closer of this album. <laughs> like they just, like you talk about like sequencing and structure, like it, it's just very odd where I'm like the way that the songs end and this is like one of them where I'm just like, oh, oh, there's two more tracks after this. Oh, oh okay. It's kind of odd that way. Yeah, I definitely did pick up on those vibes. Even, I mean, even the title of the track, Golden Boy, I'm like, oh, who are you talking about? I think they really betrayed themselves with You Run Away because Golden Boy, it picks up on just good lyricism, how strong they are as a four-piece. If the feeling at the time was We Don't Need You, this song would have been much better to kind of show that. One, because it wouldn't be nearly as just outwardly mean, and also because everyone's coming together in the song in a really good way. Yeah, and and I feel like it's a the lyrics are a less bitter sounding than yeah. you run away because there's that whole uh, like there's a little bit in the bridge with the no 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 you're not a quitter so don't 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 you be bitter go 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 where you glitter <laughs> away I feel like that sounds more like yeah we're kind of angry at you for leaving the band but at the same time we know you're not gonna give up you go do your own thing and at someday we'll 
be able to be proud of each other again is what I get from that line, which yeah. sounds a lot more nice and amicable than you run away. I really, really like how high Kevin's voice is in the backing mix as well. Mm. I think you were talking about having him occupy the the space that Steve would have had in the harmonies before. And for so- every single time the line game set and match something, 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 you are the man. Like, my head always bops. I cannot help air drumming at that line. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's really, really good. Golden Boy's very good. Yeah. Next song is also pretty good, I reckon. I saw it. Again, Jim Cregan, like, mm-hmm. it was kind of a preview of On the Lookout, but, like, this song, holy crap, like, he is probably the strongest, like, I've never really listened to any Brothers Cregan because I'm not near the Kawartha Dairies where they sell them exclusively, those CDs, <laughs> but I think that, like, this, at least to me and probably to a lot of people, it's, like, the first exposure to just how good of a vocalist he is in his range, because... Damn, it's good. Mm-hmm. And yet again, story song, story song, story song. He does like those, Jim Cregan. Though it's a bit vaguer. Like, the story is a bit more opaque. But to me, tell tell me how you feel. Because I feel like the story of this song, this is definitely about a kid fight. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I feel like the story of the song is like Jim is speaking and he saw someone start a fight with maybe literally his brother because there's a reference to a brother later in the lyrics. I think it's like guy singing the song saw this who is also a child saw someone start a fight with his brother on the playground, didn't jump in to back him up and then feels really badly about it and says, no, next time this bully does something, we're going to do this together. Like, I feel like that's the story of the song. Like, that's, I think that's really sweet. And... Oh, I don't know. Yeah, some good brotherly mm-hmm. love. Just stand, standing up for yeah. his brother, so which is, which is good. Like an angel watching over him. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, if, if you're listening, please call in. Let us know you're okay. Even if it's to tell us to fuck off, we'll, it, it'll be nice for, <laughs> it, it'll be good for a check-in. I feel like every, with every passing episodes, the odds of that being what he would say if he called in just rise more and more and more. And maybe some other choice words. We then move on to the second last track of the album, The Love We're In. Why are we making the love we're in? It could be the last time. It's, again, is, is this the ending song? Like, I saw it could have been the ending song. The Love We're In definitely sounds like an ending song. It, it's not the final song. I think both kind of have the same love. The Love We're In and Northern Lights both, they're both, they're about totally different things, but they have a similar energy. Yeah. Yeah, they have a, they have a similar kind of feeling of speed and tempo and emotionality. And yeah, yeah. All three of the last tracks. Yeah, because I saw it, Love We're In and Northern Lights are all pretty, pretty slow. Yeah, yeah, and also yeah. just like the fade out of I saw it, and then this song very much sounds like just the way that it kind of builds up. It's it's a very weird comparison, but it kind of and and not nearly the quality of it because like it's probably one of the greatest Beatles songs of all time. But it kind of feels like the long and winding road in terms of like huh. just just the way that it's almost like a, a an ending, like an exclamation point to the end of the album because of the way that it's structured. And so it's very weird that when, you know, you're about to hit the eject button of your cassette tape, because that's how, you know, you listen to music these days. Absolutely. You're like, oh no, oh, there's another, tr- there's another track. All right. How do you feel about, aside from it could have been the closer, do you, do you like the song or what are your thoughts on it? I, I, I like the message. It's it uh, like, I like the content of the song lyrically. I think it sounds really, really sweet. I think it seems clear 
clearly inspired by the near-death experience Ed had in 2006. Yeah. Because there's that explicit reference to crashing a plane, and Ed was in a, thankfully, no injuries whatsoever uh, small plane crash in 2006. All three people in the plane walked away completely with no scrapes on them. Yeah. Which is amazing. But yeah, this so, so the song really sounds like it's, you know, kind of dealing with that feeling that, oh, I almost died and you can't waste any moment. And why, why aren't we, we making, making the, the love, love we're we, in? Yeah. The love we're in? Like, why aren't we savoring the moments? Yeah, the next line, it could be the last time. You never want to throw that away. So it really seems to be, yeah, about appreciating your life because you could die in a plane crash in two seconds. And that's really, really sweet. And I like that. That being said, I like thinking about it as the long and writing road more than, like, today, just the first line and the first guitar chord, I was like, this sounds like a telethon song. <laughs> like, it sounds like 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 the, the first line of the song, I was like, why does this sound like it's going to be like a We Are the World type of song? I don't know, so... Yeah, it's 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 an odd one, and I do agree. I do like the whole carpe diem session and just kind of like being present <clears> because that's a really important thing in life. And then we move on to the actual final track after all those fake outs, which is watching the northern lights. Watching. And it's a Kevin song, which ends the album, which is kind of cool. You know, I've, I've not really liked either of the songs that he's done on this album so far. I mean, I, I like the first one, but what, what do you think of Watching the Northern Lights? I, I like Watching the Northern Lights uh-huh, in real life as well. I only did that once in my life when I was like nine, I think maybe. Ooh. Maybe it was 12. Up near the Kawartha Dairy with all that uh, Jim Cregan merchandise. No, I think... I think Northern Lights is a really, really pretty song. Like, I like it when the sound of something invokes the look of something. Mm. Like, the way this song sounds, it sounds like the Northern Lights look to me. Interesting. Because it's got that kind of, like, arpeggiated guitar, that kind of wavy sound to it. It's not my favorite Kevin track, but, like, it's up there. Yeah, I think it's a really pretty song. I think it's really, really simple because it's just saying, hey, look at look at how beautiful nature is. And I think that's all the song's about. Yeah. So I appreciate how simple it is. And I think it's a nice, I think it's a nice, easy closer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I agree. I think it's good. It's it's a bit forgettable. I do like that you're saying that that's a really cool analogy or just like cool point you brought up in terms of it just, yeah, it kind of evoking the image of the Northern Lights. And that's, you know, if a song can evoke any type of image or if it just kind of reminds you or puts you in a place, I mean, that's that's powerful art. So good on mm-hmm. you. I have not seen the Northern Lights except in postcards and in the Borderlands 2 video game. Ah, CGI graphic. <laughs> but also there were marauders who were trying to kill me. So I feel like the peacefulness was was lost i think similarly maybe that's why i was really digging jerome this week because i started playing red dead redemption 2 again <laughs> so you're so maybe i'm just like just into like weird western bullshit these days i don't know but yeah no it, it, it's good yeah. and i think it's again very interesting that kevin ended the album yeah something we didn't talk about but of course you know it, it makes complete sense five of these tracks were not done by ed robertson as lead vocals so you know trying to find mm-hmm. that fit to you know try to fill that void so i think for the most part because again jim cregan sounded absolutely amazing on both of his songs and kevin kind of did his kevin thing i think that was a success but as we give our final thoughts on the album i i stand by it i stand by the fact that you know revisiting this <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm doubling down I don't like it. I think it puts a sour taste in your mouth right from the bat of You Run Away being the first track. And then it's hard to get over that. And then just 
everything that they kind of did afterwards. Three good songs, but the rest of it, not not a big fan. As opposed to me, who I am absolutely with you on You Run Away being a terrible track, and I am I am loath to think of a song of theirs I like less, mm. just off the top of my head. Maybe it's my least favorite Bare Naked Ladies song. That'd be justifiable, definitely. But the rest of the album, there's like two other sort of forgettable tracks, but they might be a little bit forgettable, but I think they're pretty good. One of them sounds like a tragically hip song. And I distinctly remember, yeah, when it came out, I was kind of worried about what it was gonna what the bare naked ladies were gonna be like without Stephen page and being beyond pleasantly surprised and really enjoying kind of the sense of experimentation and the new directions they were trying to figure out and go in i really really like this record a lot and i stand by that that's cool differing opinions i like that it's going to be very interesting when we do officially do our top 15 in, in order from like favorite to least favorite yeah i would say this one probably bottom two bottom three for me bottom two bottom three yep i am i kid you not really huh oh geez you're gonna hate me because i i actually started doing my semi-official ordering and we only have so many left to go very true and all in good time is gonna move down because i still have a there's still one more uh, album that i like better than this that we haven't approached yet but this is currently in my top five okay interesting yeah yeah as i said i'm not sure it's gonna stay there but as of right now, of the ones we've covered, yeah. Well, it's going to be good because next week yeah. we are going to be covering Grinning Streak. Grinning Streak is the next album. And oh my mm-hmm. goodness, you talk about a contrast. I go from my bottom three to Grinning Streak probably being in my top three. So huge rebound for me. Uh, one of my favorite albums. I'm really excited to talk about that one with you because I know how much you like that one. And we also agree on that. Yes, definitely. I can say, and that's not going to change when, I, when I'm going to do my rank. It's either going to be second or third for me. Second even? Wow. Second or third. That's how much I love this album. So I'm very excited to oh, do it. Man. But until then, and until we release Grinning Streak, for this album, All in Good Time, before we leave, Ephraim, where can people find you on the old social medias? You can find me on Instagram at Ephraim Ellis. And that's about it, really. Yeah. I like that. That's that's nice and concise. You can find yeah. you can find me on Instagram at csmalltraveler. You can find me on Twitter at csmall201. And you can find the official Clothe Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies Twitter feed at cmdbnl. Make sure that you please subscribe and give us a like on wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Music, Spotify, Google Music, the radio, wherever. If you just want to give us a like, give us a five-star review. Or not even a five-star review. I mean, that sounds try-hard. Tell us what you really think. But any opinions we would love to to hear because Ephraim and I are having a blast doing this and it's nice to know that you guys are listening along and enjoying or disagreeing with what we do. Ephraim and I had very differing opinions on this album. What were your thoughts? Let us know. But until then, I am Chris Small. And I'm Ephraim Ellis. And we we have been been clothed clothed the whole time. time. Take it easy, everybody.